Hello and welcome to the Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath and as always I'm here with Donald. Hello. Today we are discussing the whole area of identity. Where does our identity come from? What is a helpful place to find it? Enjoy our conversation. So I thought the first thing to do was to define identity. So I went to the dictionaries. Mm -hmm. And so the Cambridge Dictionary says identity. So um, it is who a person is or the qualities of a person or group that make them different to others. Then the Oxford Dictionary, because you can't just have Cambridge without Oxford, can you, you know, I know you're a Cambridge man. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary, it says the characteristics determining who or what a person or thing is. So it's about the things that determine who we are that gives us our identity. Now there is a thing called the Big Eight. I wasn't aware of this, but I have just discovered it. Apparently, there are eight different areas that consciously or subconsciously the human race pull together to begin to build up their sense of identity. And I'm going to put you to the test. As always, you know I like to have a little quiz with you. Can you name, do you think, any of the eight from the big eight, the things that you know go towards making up our identity? It's not necessarily Christian. It is just a, a global world thing. Okay, I would guess. Yep. Uh, in no particular order. Yep. Race. Yes, check. That's one. Religion. Two. Uh, gender. Three. Sexuality. Four. Job. Uh, socioeconomic status, I'll give you that. Five. Okay. Um, uh, your relationship status. No. Uh -uh. Okay. Not on there. Keep going. Um, so doesn't so like a mother or father doesn't doesn't it's not one really, of the big eight really yes. interesting. I think it is in society, but according to the experts, it isn't. Okay. Um, your hobby, pastime, passion. Uh -uh. Oh, okay, now I'm struggling. How many? I got five. You got five. Three to go. Three to go. Actually, I kind of give. No, I can't give you that. No. So one of them is age. Okay. Ability. Right. Okay. And then the one that we haven't got is ethnicity, which is slightly different to race. They okay. would say race classifies people based on perceived physical characteristics. Right. Ethnicity relates more to culture. Okay. Such as sharing a common language, ancestry, yes. national origin, yep. or a variety of cultural beliefs. Well, that shows how much I know. Shall we, shall we go home now? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting because very often when you meet someone for the first time, uh, they ask you your name, uh, where do you come from? Very often, what do you do? And then there's an assumption, particularly for me, I think, being a woman of my age, I am 47 years of age, but the church on Sunday felt that, you know, over 100 people over felt 100. I didn't look 47. I look younger, just younger, pointing that out. Um, but most people assume that I've got a family, that I've got children, that I'm married. They'll often ask me about my husband or my other half. Some people assume that you're my husband, which is just the most funny thing in the whole really? world. That's I know, disturbing. Isn't it? Well, did you tell me? I don't know which one of us is more offended at that prospect, me. <laughs> <laughs> but there is this thing, isn't it? The, the immediate way to, to begin to work out who someone is, we ask you, where are you from? What do you do? That, that kind of builds up a picture of someone's identity. So Donald, to you, what, what would you say identity is? We've had the, the definitions and the big eight. How would you put it? Well, I think I'm no expert. So yeah. this is, you know, we're just exploring this together. Um, I think that there are loads of descriptions that we are accurate about ourselves. And all of those eight, we all fit into all of those eight. Yeah. So every one of those we're a part of. We can't say, you know, we've all got ethnicity, we've all got race, we've all of an age, we've all got a job or a, or a non-job or we're retired or whatever it is, we've all in some sense... Uh, so identity isn't simply that description. It's which of those descriptions we choose as the defining and the most important. And, th and there's two sort of sides to that. In one size, it's what we think other people define us by. What of those, those, that list of things do other people think is the most important thing to us? And mm. that can be a very damaging 
um, thought process where we're constantly worried about how others perceive us. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, it's how we perceive ourselves. So which of those things is the thing that we think is the most important? And that will then perhaps define some of our goals in life. It will define some of our priorities in life. It will define some of the things that we value. It will define how we feel about ourselves. The, the other part of it, and we'll perhaps unpack all of this, which I think is, is difficult, is that some people don't choose their identity in terms of the description about themselves. They choose it in terms of the tribe they want to belong to. So we, we're, human beings are tribal, and so what often I think is confusing is people choosing an identity because they like the feel or idea of other people who identify in that way, and they want to be associated with their tribe. Or equally, people reject an identity because they don't want to be associated with that group of people. And all of those things make it very complicated. For me, choosing an identity because of who you want to be like is, is not a very helpful road to go down. Allowing others to define your identity isn't a very good road to go down. So for me, it's about working out what really matters to us, what is the most important thing in our life, and let's let that be the thing that everything else feeds off and is defined by. This is really important stuff, isn't it? Because I think if we get that slightly skewed or if we go down a path that isn't us or isn't helpful, that affects so much about us. So it, as you say, it affects our choices. It affects our goals. It affects the way that we feel deep down inside about ourselves. In a few weeks, we'll do a session looking at self-worth. But I think identity, there is a knock-on into self-worth mm. that actually if we don't understand who we are, if we don't have um, a true identity in the sense that we're going to talk about this evening, that has huge implications for our mental well-being, for our emotional health, uh, just for us as human beings being able to function in a way that's helpful. Mm. So th this, is, this is really big and huge stuff. And it's in the media a lot at the moment. People seem to be searching and talking about this a lot. Why do you think it's out there now? Why are more and more people exploring it and talking about it? I've, I'm not an expert to, to say. I, I fear that we know that our part of the world is really suffering with lots of mental health issues and low self-esteem. We're unhappy. I think, I, think, I think Western people are unhappy. And so there is this grasp and this search for, well, why am I unhappy? Mm -hmm. And one of the explanations that people are coming up with as to why I'm unhappy is I'm in the wrong, I'm defining myself in the wrong way. I don't like the way other people have labelled me. Mm -hmm. I don't like the box other people have put me in. I don't like the expectations that other people have of me. And therefore, and that can be absolutely right and very painful if we are labelled by other mm -hmm. people and it's not an accurate label and it's not mm -hmm. a fair assessment of who we are. And so we're tr struggling to try and find out, well, who are we? What mm -hmm. are we about? And so the search for identity, I think, is probably a, quite a godly search. It's a desire to say, well, what is really my purpose in life? What is the meaning of life? Why do I live? Who am I? What am I about? And, and, and those, in one sense, are eternal questions that people have asked for centuries. We're just using the word identity to, to, mm -hmm. to, as the word for that search. It's saying, who am I? Am I what mm -hmm. other people say I am? If I'm unhappy, is it because I perceive myself in the mm -hmm. wrong way or others are perceiving myself in the, right, in the wrong way? I think it's confusing because I'm not sure that a lot of the areas that people are choosing as identities are really the things I would want to say are the defining things about our humanity. Um, and which perhaps well, we, we can unpack a bit more. But that, there's a problem when we define ourselves 
it, well, can, can I give you an example? Go for it. So there are, of those eight things, all of those describe me. So if I was to say, you know, firstly, say uh, gender and age, I am, what am I? An old man. I'm an old man. <laughs> Let's say I'm an old man. So if I define myself as an old man, if that's how I perceive myself, yep. if that's how other people think of me, if it, as it were, I went around with a label that said old man, yep. there are so many connotations with mm -hmm. that that I don't feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I don't want to consider myself as old. I'd like mm -hmm. really to rephrase that as middle-aged. <laughs> that's okay with you? <laughs> So you labelled me as old, but I would want to call myself middle-aged. With both of those things, there are stereotypes, aren't there? Yes. So the pro and the problem is I don't identify yeah. with other people who would call themselves old men or middle-aged men. Yes. I don't feel I belong, and I don't want to feel I belong in that tribe. And so that's quite an unhelpful way of describing me. It feels painful. Mm. Um, but it is true... Mm. I am a man and I am getting towards old. <laughs> but it's not how I see myself and it's not what I would want everybody else to think, who's Donald? Oh, he's an old man. Because the moment you say that, there are all kinds of other things that are coming into, oh, perhaps he's a bit confused, perhaps he's not very uh, capable, perhaps he's uh, quite... Um, Stuck in his ways. Stuck in his ways. That's what you'd think with an old person. Yes. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so I would say, right, I want to change my identity. I don't want to have the identity of an old man. So maybe I would say, okay, well, let's choose another thing in my life. I am a, uh, I am white British. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that's true. Yep. I am white, yeah. I am British. I wouldn't use the word English because I'm of Scottish and slightly Irish heritage, but mostly Scottish. I'm far more Scottish than I am English. So I would always use the word white British. Sorry, can I just interject at this point? Why do you support England in the football and not Scotland? Uh, because I'm confused. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not a stereotype. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I find... I find nationalism, mm -hmm. I find Scottish nationalism and English nationalism, both of them deeply uncomfortable, which is why I always want to call myself British. But actually, I don't feel comfortable with calling myself white British because to me, it feels a bit like Union Jack Braces, skinheads. Yeah. Uh, I've got short hair, so am yeah. I a skinhead? Am I some way colonial? Yeah. Am I in some way linked to white supremacy? Am I in some way believing that this is... Uh, that Britain should be white, and which I don't think for a moment. And again, it, it, it's a label and uh, an identity that I would feel deeply uncomfortable if you said, who's done it? Oh, he's that white British guy. That's, for me, got all kinds of tribal associations that I would want nothing to do with. But that's the easiest, that's, the, the, that's what we do as a human race. So the easiest thing for us to do is to look at someone and really, really quickly, we make a value judgment yeah. and we place a label on them. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you look like an old man, but, you know, you're, you're middle-aged, you're white, yeah. you're skinhead, you're whatever. Yeah. And, and that in itself, wrongly yeah. in people's minds, yeah. we label you yeah. straight away. Yeah. Your identity is yeah. very quickly yeah. in someone else's mind found. Yeah. And that's really not helpful. Yeah. And especially, so I'm going to get rid of that because yes, I don't don't like, be I, labelled as that. Don't Absolutely. like that label. Yeah. So we've got to try and find what is the label that best sums up what I aspire to mm -hmm. and what are my values, what are my goals, mm. without looking at everybody else and saying, well, I want to be the same as them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I, I think... A tricky but helpful exercise. But are you saying in some ways you can choose your identity and in some ways you can't? So I, I believe, I think, and I reserve the right to change my mind if you <laughs> dissuade me of it, <laughs> I can't change those eight categories that yep. describe me that you said. Yep. They are all facts. Yep. I, can dis I can choose which of those is the one that... Uh, is the, the most important to me and the one that shapes all the rest. 
I can't change the fact that I'm a man, but I'm not comfortable with what's all the labels of behaviour that men are supposed to stick to and all the things that are called masculinity and, uh, and macho and all of that. And I'm deeply uncomfortable with male culture a lot of the time. So I don't choose my identity as being a man, but I am a man. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to choose that as the thing of, that everything else submits to, I guess. Why do you think some people do? Why do you think some people are drawn to some of those things and it is the, the one thing they hold on to? Whether it is their race, whether it is their sexuality, what, whatever it might be, what draws somebody to that? Yes, that is my overarching thing. I guess there are a number of things. Sometimes it's oppression and bullying and... Uh, victimization and discrimination by other people that because we are discriminated on those grounds they've put that label on us and said yep. it's a bad thing yep. and so the natural reaction is to say I'm going to wear that label and it's a good thing yeah and I understand mm. that completely mm. where we are picked on or, or discriminated against because we're different to the other tribe the other mm. group one reaction is to say, well, I resist that, and we all, but, but in resisting it, we fall into this, almost the same trap of saying, well, that, that thing is defining me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think partly it's that. Mm -hmm. I think in other situations, it's just a search for meaning, mm -hmm. and we're just longing to find out what we're about. What, mm -hmm. Who are we? Mm -hmm. What is our... Uh, our, our drive in life what and when we do that sometimes we're drawn to people in the media or we come across who seem to have it together and they say this is my label sometimes we can I think this happens a lot with younger people we choose the label of the people that we've attract, attracted by that we feel are the role models that we want to have and I certainly would look back on my life and say that there were times when I, I, I tried to identify with people I admired and so I would try and take on, but that wasn't really true to me. Um, so sometimes I think it's that search for belonging. It's search for where do I fit? Who am I? What am I about? Which is all understandable and, and not a bad thing in itself. And those are the subconscious questions that we ask for the whole of our lives. Mm. We look for meaning, we look for a sense of belonging, we look for this sense of understanding who am I, why am I on this earth, what, yeah. what was I put here to do, is there, is there a purpose for me? We all have that as a, yeah. as a human being, they're natural drivers, they're natural questions that, that we ask. But I suspect for many people they're not asking those of Christianity, of God, and of a relationship with God. For a lot of people it's is it in a relationship? Is it in my uh, social status? Is it in my job? In, in so many other things. And part of that, as you've talked about, is because of the way that other people uh, influence and impact our lives. Mm -hmm. So as a child, you might have the expectations of um, your parents. They might say, you're going to be, and this was never said of me, a musical prodigy. And so that is your label, that is what you're stuck as. Or actually, well, you're never going to make anything. You're not very intelligent. Uh, and that sticks with you, those kind of unhelpful labels. And so yes. you look for meaning in other places. Yes. Which isn't great. And which is, again, why we shouldn't label and speak over children and other people in negative ways mm. because we have no idea of the damage and the way mm. that they're held on to mm. and the way that they drive people in a in a really unhelpful way. Mm. So talk to me about a helpful identity. You know, we've talked about all these things that we subconsciously and consciously look to for identity. And up to a point, they're okay, but they shouldn't be the overarching thing. Mm. There's something far greater, far deeper, far more affirming and life-giving. Mm. Talk to mm. me about that. So I think a healthy identity is one that doesn't change in life circumstances. So let's just pick on that last one about social status. And, and very often, if as young people or, or children, we've, we've been put down. 
sometimes that creates a drive in us to succeed. And so our identity becomes our success. It becomes our house or our job or the car mm. or, or the career that we have. Um, I think a good identity still works when you're retired mm -hmm. and even still works in heaven. Mm -hmm. One of the problems is we're all going to retire mm. and we're all going to have changes in our life. And if our identity is wedded to our, either our age or it's wedded to our life situation, then we face a major Midlife crisis is another thing, isn't it? It's a major problem when suddenly that which we thought defined us doesn't define us. So I think we need to be looking for something that is true to us mm -hmm. in all seasons of our life. And it's true to say that there is nothing wrong in having money, uh, a job, um, a career. You know, people have served God and done great things through those things. So they're not wrong. No, 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 it, no, no. It's how we hold that and how much of our esteem and our value yeah. and our identity yeah. comes through. Yeah. So I could describe myself as uh, I could describe myself as a, uh, a clergyman. I could describe myself as professional because apparently my... What? Professional? Yeah, because apparently in the professions, yep. clergy is one of them. Really? I could define myself as a graduate. Yeah, you are a graduate. I'll give you I that. am a graduate. Yep. So if I said to... If I introduced myself or tried to get you all to see myself as those things... Yes. The problem is that actually that's arrogant and it's not really who I am it's, does, it's trying to put myself above somebody else so a good identity shouldn't be squashing somebody else it shouldn't be hurting somebody else it should be what's good for all mankind and it should not be rooted out of insecurity if I said to you huh, my name's Donald by the way I'm, I've got a degree you think there's something slightly wrong with him, isn't there? But, okay, I, I agree with you. Out of left field, another question here. What about clergymen and women who constantly wear their dog collar? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not going to get onto dog collars as, as such. But I, I, I set think, me up. I well, I don't a wear a dog collar for I that think reason. there's a time and a place for a dog collar. Okay, for some people. So one of our previous pastoral ministers, he would wear a dog collar when he went into hospital as a chaplain because there was a sense of people understood who he was, people would talk to him, uh, and that was helpful in, in that situation. You would never have seen him wearing it at any other point in his life. He wouldn't go to the shops in it. He wouldn't go and socialise yeah. in it because he wasn't defined by it. Yeah. I don't get why vicars have to wear it all the time. Why? Go on. Do okay, it. I don't know the Come answer. <laughs> I don't wear a dog collar because I don't want to be uh, seen as different. I think that definition of being slightly obscure and it, I just it's not me. And I, I fundamentally believe that all Christians are equal and that any person who works for the church is as fallible and as holy as anybody who, took, who follows Christ, that there is no grading. And to me, a dog collar is an... I don't, want, I don't identify as a clergy. I, don't, I just... I don't use the term reverent. I just so don't... If someone asks you what you do, what do you say? Uh, I say I'm a Baptist minister. Okay. Uh, at the moment, I say that. And uh, what I... The tribe I want to identify by using that phrase is I want to identify with, I hope, the most famous Baptist minister is Martin Luther King. And that's the only way I would want... That's, I want to identify with that tribe with Martin Luther King. Um, whether that's increasingly useful as a definition, but I don't like being asked what you do as a way of... I don't like those questions. What do you do? I don't like the question, you know, are you married? Do you have children? All of those things are defining you in, in a way that they are all true of me and I'm not ashamed of them, but they're not really what makes me tick. 
they're not really the most important things in my life. Um, family and everything is very, very important. Being a minute Baptist minister is very, very important, but there's something more important than all of that. I sometimes find it's a good in, into a conversation. So I was, having, I was giving blood yesterday. It wasn't giving blood. I was having a blood test. And uh, lovely nurse, absolutely brilliant, was having trouble getting blood out of me. So she was like trying this side and she was trying to distract me because I'm terrible with needles and it was going on for a very long time. And she goes, oh, it's coming out, but very, very slowly. We're going to be a while. So she goes, what do you do? Uh, and so I said, oh, I work at the Baptist church in, uh, in Sutton. Do you know the one? It's opposite McDonald's. I know that. My children used to go to playgroup there. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. So we've got this in of a conversation. Yeah. Uh, so I quite like that. I don't want to be defined by it. No. But when someone's pulling blood out of my arm and it's coming at one centimetre yeah. an hour, it's quite helpful to have a distraction and to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, it is quite helpful that anybody in the community who knows me, yes. knows what I do, they have certain expectations. And some of that's quite good for me. Some of that's quite a challenge. I remember a situation a few years ago where uh, one of my sons was playing football and there'd been some incidents with parents who were being abusive and there was a memo went round saying that parents mustn't shout and argue and there was a big joke that was all, yeah Donald, yeah, your language is unacceptable. <laughs> and, and it was like, it was fun because everybody knew that it wasn't me because <laughs> he's the Baptist minister, he wouldn't be doing it. But it is, yeah, it's, it's a label that's not it's not what I want to really say is the most important thing about me, but it's, it's a helpful thing at times. I was looking at Andrew uh, Mitchell's um, Facebook page. He's our local MP. And I was looking at some of his old videos, and there's a video of you and him. So mm. he's like in a really smart suit, and you're sitting um, <laughs> on some steps next to him in your, your jeans, and you've got like your, your best but your worst jacket on and stuff. Reverend Donald Campbell, and you look at that and you just go against all stereotypes of what people think uh, mm. a vicar is. It I just made me chuckle because he's so smart and pristine <laughs> and there's you. And I think that's good. And part of our identity is our appearance, isn't it? Absolutely. But again, I don't want that to be the thing that I think yes. matters. My, what do I look like? I don't, I famously don't really care what I'm wearing and my collar will be up all the time and, and the number of videos I've made where things are dishevelled because it's not my identity what I look like I mean mine it is obviously I make a real effort with well, my hair see. and makeup and everything else that's one of the things I love about our church that there's a sense of you don't have to pretend to be what you're not mm. and the church somehow I don't know how accepts us the way that we are mm. uh, and are happy mm. Because we're just real. This mm. is us. This is who we are. It's like mm. questions of life. We don't pretend to have all the answers. We don't pretend to be the best Christians. But we're giving it a good shot. Mm. And we're trying to go for it. And we're trying to be real about our experiences and our mistakes. Uh, and learning from them. Mm. So we have all of these things that other people look at. So they could say that you're a vicar. They could say that you're a dad. That you're a husband. That you're a dog owner. That you support a rubbish football team. You know, Top of the league. You're known for all of those things, aren't mm. you? Yep. You know, someone. If you, you were to ask someone in our church, tell me about Donald, they would reel off all of those things. But I suspect as well they would reel off uh, the fact that two of your favourite words are grace and mercy. Because that's been something that you have said and preached and have lived out for mm. as long as I've been here. Mm. That that's kind of been um, not your mission statement because we have a different mission statement, but something that you live by and you act with integrity over. Mm. And that's part of your faith and that's part of what defined you so to talk more about that then so you don't want to be defined by all of those things they're true talk about your faith and the place that that has so for me the, uh, my identity needs to be how i see myself and not how everybody else sees myself yep um and it needs to be and so for me it, it's about my pursuit of being a disciple of jesus that for me is my fundamental identity. And I'm influenced by two, uh, the two ways in which the, the, the New Testament talks about identity. It doesn't use that word. Yeah. But it's very interesting that the people who write the New, Te New Testament describe themselves 
as something quite universally. So they give themselves a label all the way through. But they also give a label to the people they're talking to, which is a different one. So you're getting in the New Testament, you get these two identities, which I think merge under the broad heading of being a disciple of Jesus. Someone who said, I want to copy and follow Jesus, uh, copy and obey Jesus. That's what mm -hmm. a, a disciple is, a follower of Jesus. So I look at Jesus, I believe him to be God in human form. I want to do what he want, asks of me and I want to uh, be where he would be. I want mm -hmm. to go where he would go. So those two elements, firstly, the way the New Testament writers talk to the people they're writing to, to the churches, invariably they describe them as children of God. Mm -hmm. And so I think our identities should start in that place. Mm -hmm. We start with, I am loved, valued, uh, and I belong to God. That he wants to adopt me into his family and that the strength of relationship is unbreakable, that mm. he cannot leave or forsake us, mm. that he uh, loves us with an unconditional love. We talked about fatherhood before, and we, I'm very aware that that concept for some of us is quite painful and alien because of our earthly experiences. And that sometimes can damage our identity, that if we've had, and we've talked about this a few times, haven't we? We've talked about poor parenting experiences or, or, or negative parenting experiences. That shapes how we see ourselves mm -hmm. and it shapes how we see God. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, the New Testament begins by saying you have a new identity when you choose to follow Jesus. It changes your purpose, your meaning, your reason for life. You are now a child of God. You are loved, valued, wanted, mm. cared for. You belong to God. Mm. And that's a really, really important place to start because mm. it talks to us about value mm. and it talks to us uh, 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 about um, our um, unshakable uh, presence of God in our life that can't go away. And where I've sort of moved more is recognizing that Paul, James, Jude, Peter, John, all of them, in the way they write the letters in the New Testament, they are accepting, yes, they are a child of God, but they describe themselves as a servant of God. And I've come to really identify with that as what I aspire to as my identity. Now, it may be that everybody else could lay, look at me and say, well, we can't see that. We can just see a middle-aged white father who sports Cambridge United who happens to think he's a clergyman. But in, in a sense, what other people think of me doesn't matter. It's what am I trying to be and who do I think I am? You're saying, what am I trying to be? In a sense, that's in partnership with God, isn't it? Yes. That's in his power. He's changing you and working within you. It's not a, today I am choosing to be this and I'm going to do it in my own strength. No, it's that I've chosen to be a servant, yeah. uh, but I'm only a better servant tomorrow if I let God help me than I would be today. Absolutely. So that my ability to be a servant is, in, is dependent on my allowing his Holy Spirit to fill me. Mm -hmm. It's not within my ability to be a good servant, but it is within my decision to say that's what matters. And what I mean by calling myself a servant of God is that I so love the agenda of God and the purposes of God, which is to restore and redeem, which is fundamentally all about grace and mercy and the this the restoring of broken and damaged people, the calling back into relationship of rebellious and foolish people. I so love that agenda that it is ingrained in me to say my identity is to be part of that mission. But I'm only a servant in it. I'm at the bottom. I'm not in it. I'm not a, uh, it's not a power thing. 
Um, and I suppose for me, if you take the, the contrast with calling myself a, a graduate or a minister or whatever, those are all, to me, in my head, the language of skill. I'm a servant is the language of, of weakness, of dependence on God. But it is saying, what I want to do with my life is join in with the purposes of God. What I want to do with my life is to do what he asks of me. And I have found that liberating, that my life is for him. My life is his uh, life in me. Uh, in Philippians, uh, Paul says, talking about being in prison, talking about facing death, he says, for me to live is Christ. And the only reason I'm going to live is for Christ. And then he says, but to die is gain. In other words, if I'm going to live this life, it's going to be for Jesus. And if I die, that's even better because I'll be with Jesus. Um, if I'm not a child of God, I make a, a rubbish servant because I don't understand how loved I am and I'm, I'm serving out of fear or duty or, or pressure, whereas actually I, I serve out of joy and love. So I need to start as a child of God. But if I stayed as a child of God and simply said, God, make me happy, mm -hmm. I think I would, I would shrivel. Mm. So I love that identity of being a, 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 a servant. And I think the, in one way, I would describe it as being a disciple because I think that holds the two together. But for lots of people, not quite sure what a disciple is. So a servant, maybe that's equally as obscure. Um, so that's how I see identity. That's how I think the New Testament writers saw their identity, and I absolutely love that identity. Excuse me. So I've got two questions for you. The first is, uh, and then I'm going to go into a question from Kath. Hmm. The first is, how long did it take you to get to the point that you're at today? And alongside that, how? Because Kath says this, and good evening to Kath. One of my earliest memories is thinking, why am I here what am I? Who am I? What is my purpose? Feeling insignificant in my mid-30s, I still have no idea of my identity. I began my journey into Christianity in the hope this will help me find an identity, help me find who I am. But it still feels like an insurmountable task. Where do I start? How do I get there? Thank you for that question. Brilliant That's question. Brilliant. I, I think there is a difference. I would slightly differentiate between identity and calling. Yep. So calling is something specific, and that's where being a minister and all of those things come into place. I think discovering our calling is difficult, and some of us never quite grasp it. That doesn't mean we don't use it. It just means God carries on regardless whether we understand what he's doing or not. So I think our individual callings some of us know quite clearly it'll be some we talked about this before it's a combination of our skills our experience our opportunities and our passions and you put those four things together and you say god here i am but underpinning that is the identity and i think you need to get the identity right in order that your individual calling comes out how long did it take me to grasp it i don't recall really understanding this early on, not because I think it's difficult to understand, because I, for whatever reason, I didn't hear it explained to me. I didn't, I didn't hear the explanations or I didn't have them. Probably they were said and I didn't grasp them. I think that early in my Christian life, and I think this happens to a lot of us, early in my Christian life, I had this perception of what will you do for me, God? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's not why we're made. And it's quite... Empty. It feels empty. Uh, I, would, I find it much more alive to say, what can I do for you, God? And so I would encourage people of whatever stage, Kath 
as an whether we've been Christian for years or whether we've been a Christian for a few months to say I'm ready to be a servant I'm ready to say here's my life God what would you have me do and out of that will come the calling but the identity is I'm a follower of Jesus my identity is um, I am here to love and serve God on earth by loving my neighbour as myself by doing whatever he's asked with the skills he's given me. In olden days, we could have said my identity is to be a Christian, but that word is so politically confused and so many people call themselves Christians that they're not seeking to be servants. So it's not a helpful word anymore. Um, One of the things in doing John's gospel at the moment is the number of times, and I did a whole stuff on it recently, where Jesus simply says to people, follow me. Mm -hmm. And so that's another way of describing it. My identity is simply to be a follower. I simply say, I want to do what Jesus asks of me and I want to copy him. And you put those two strands together. Whether you call it a servant, whether you call it a child, whether you call it a disciple, whether you call it a follower, whatever it is, it's in that ballpark. Mm -hmm. And I would say to anyone, you can find that identity. And that's a great identity it doesn't it's not unique to Donald because it, as I read the New Testament it's how every dis- apostle describes himself they all describe themselves as servants or followers or whatever it, that concept so I would say I'm, I'm going around and saying I'd say to to Kath don't worry about the calling bit that will follow on once you understand the identity and I would say the identity bit takes a bit of getting to. I think for me, when I first became a Christian, there was the euphoria. It was quite a Saul on the Road to Damascus thing. It was a bang. My life was very different five seconds later uh, to that which it was before. But I had a lot of stuff I needed to work out, a lot of things that I'd been through that had damaged me and had hurt me. Um, And that took time to unpick. And that affected the way that I saw God, the way that I saw myself. It wasn't as simple as now I'm a Christian. Great, I'm going to just sit as a child of God and be content and happy. I had to work some of that through. And I think for me, what came first was the child of God and then the servant. Because I had to understand who God was. And I had to understand how he saw me. Because I think at times growing up, I'd felt labelled or... um, undermined for who I was or beaten for who I was or, or, you know, it wasn't a great upbringing at times. And I had to get to a point of security in going to the scriptures because that's my plumb line, my, this is infallible, this is the word of God and I'm going to put my trust in that. Human beings may have let me down, but I'm going to trust in the solid word of God. And to go back there, what does the word of God tell me about God? What does the word of God tell me about the way that he sees me? What are my expectations of him? And I had to kind of, in the power of the Holy Spirit, over time, allow God to change the way that I Mm. thought about him and the way that I saw myself. And as that began to change, I was then able to take my eyes off myself and then say, here I am, Mm. use me. Mm. But that was a process. It was a journey, which is the, the in vogue word at the moment. For some of us, this, this, this is something that takes a while. Mm. But I would encourage people to get into the scriptures. Mm. I'd encourage people to, to look at your John series. I'd encourage people when we can to gather back together as church, to put yourself in places where there are like-minded people that can affirm, can encourage, can speak into your life. I'd encourage you to pray about it, to ask others to pray for you about it. All these things that we 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 say week in week out they're really really helpful mm. particularly if we're struggling to say to somebody else I'm struggling with my identity I'm struggling to know that I'm a child of God sometimes the feelings aren't there so sometimes we won't feel that we're a child of God and we need to not place everything on our emotions but to trust I mean we're quite different I'm quite emotional I'm not that you're emotionless but I'm very feelings orientated. I'm very, oh, does this feel the right thing to do in conjunction with what the Bible is saying? Whereas you're, you're slightly different, aren't you? 
my feelings are more repressed. They're <laughs> no, still there. No, but, yeah, no, I, yes, I guess we are different. Yeah. But I think I 100% agree. We have to begin by understanding that we're child of God. That's the first place. We have to start there. If you start anywhere else, it goes wrong. We have to start knowing that we're loved. And if that is difficult for us, then as you say, all that healing and 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 letting God just gently reshape our thinking is really important. Mm. I think for many people, they struggle with this. For some people, they do define themselves in all of the other ways that we've talked about. And that can be for painful reasons, mm. whether it is sexuality, whether it's gender, whether it's race. And what we want to say is that God welcomes all of us. Mm. That, that There's things about all of us that I want to change that, that you want to change and we have a God who is loving and who is gracious and who says come to me let me define you don't let the media don't let prominent people say this is how you're to define yourself because ultimately you'll come up short ultimately you'll be left with questions you'll be left wanting more that it won't be enough that mm. it perpetuates this cycle of questions or of what is this all about and ultimately we believe that Jesus is the answer mm. he's always the answer yeah and I, I think you know it's going back to those eight things you're not I'm not denying that I'm white or that I'm a clergyman mm. or that I'm a graduate or, mm. or, or that I'm a husband or that I'm a father or that I'm middle stroke old age I'm not denying any of that I'm simply saying that there's something more important to me. Even if the rest of you define me in those ways, there's something that's more important to me. And the good thing about that is it, 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 it sets an agenda to me that's the agenda I want for my life. Because it's more important to me to be a follower of Jesus, a servant, a disciple, that's rooted out of the fact that I know I'm his child. It makes me better at all those other things. Mm. It makes me mm. a better husband, a father. Mm. It makes me a better man. It makes me mm. a better Brit. It makes me a better human being. Mm. Whereas if I make all of my decisions through the lens of I'm British, then mm. you know, there's all kinds of unhelpful political things that we end up... Well, we won't go down that road, but we see it, don't we? Where does nationalism take us? It takes us into division. It takes us into her. If I define myself and say all my decisions are going to be based around the fact that I'm a man, again, I'm going to alienate and hurt and damage so many other people. So I'm not denying those things about me. I'm just simply saying they are submissive to my identity. And that's where we, are, where we choose to label ourselves just ask the question, is this really the most important thing? And where will it lead if I continue to make that the most important thing? Um, yeah. What would you say to somebody that is trying to find their identity in Jesus, but there are external forces, maybe... Um, People are labelling them. People are speaking over them. This is what you should be. This is what you should do. You know, there are other influences and, and, and unhelpful pressures. Yeah. How, what would you say to someone in that situation? I think we go back to, I am a child of God. I am loved. I am precious. I am significant. I am worth dying for. And he has called me to follow him. So we start in that place and any voice from external that is trying to say something different, either that we're insignificant or we uh, need to conform in one way or another to be loved, that we've got to present ourselves in one particular for all of that, we've got to somehow say, God, help me resist that. Mm. Lord, help me. Mm. I, think, I think prayer and worship is really, really helpful, just in a place of mm. seeking God's presence very often the awareness that we're God's children is a supernatural thing that comes out of worship sometimes. And I know that's hard for us to do at the moment, but you can, we can still find music or, mm. or songs or words or whatever that we use that are helpful. Mm. I think 
that uh, try to separate what is my calling from my identity. As I said, the calling, what am I meant to do with my life? What are my strengths? What are my skills? What are my particular uh, talents? That's a much harder job, but it's not my identity. Mm. So, for example, I would say that my calling fundamentally is to translate Christianity into British culture. Yeah. So that's how I perceive my life. That's my calling. It's not my identity because there'll come a time when I'm too old to do it. There'll come a time when I can't do that anymore. So it isn't everything the be all and the end all. My identity is to say, God, here I am, what can mm. I do? At the moment, that's what he's asking me to do. So we do need to, to separate mm. the call and the identity. The identity doesn't change. Mm. You're, I am always God's child. Mm. I am always loved. It doesn't go away if it comes to a point where I'm no longer able to teach or I'm no longer able to um, explain the Bible helpfully. I'm no lo- I don't suddenly become less of a person. So that's the important thing about identity is it's, it doesn't change when circumstances change. And it's it, very often young people are, are, are forced into linking their identity with their abilities and their uh-huh. different things. Is it ever right to, um, to say to somebody, that's not right, don't label me, how do you go about that, don't speak that over me, I see myself differently, how, how do you begin to go about that? Say you're a child and it's your parents or your friends or whatever, it's a tricky place to be in. Yeah, and I, it's difficult to give a, a one-off answer. There are times when it's appropriate to say, that's not how I see myself. Yep. There are times when it's appropriate to withdraw yourself from a relationship where those things are said about you. Yep. And there are times when it's appropriate to uh, just try not to take it in. So we've talked before about my Teflon thing, where I imagine I'm yep. made of non-stick frying pan material yep. and I will have somebody say something to me and I'll just say to myself, I'm going to forget that the minute I walk away. That takes a lot of mental strength. Yeah, and it's not always achievable. Mm. Um, it tends to be slightly easier when you've heard things a load of times before, actually, and you think, I know that's what people say about me. Mm. It's not true. Mm. Um, I think it's important to find the people who say good stuff over us. Mm-hmm. And to, whether that's a Christian community or, or good friends, one of the really sec- good secrets to life is the ability to choose good friends. Do you have friends? <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of good friends. I work with some of them. you can count on one finger. No, 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 no. I have lots of good friends. <laughs> that's harsh. <laughs> one of the ways we label you is friendless. <laughs> yes, that's a label which I don't think is fair. <laughs> I don't have favourites. That's different. That's a good thing. I think one of the helpful things as well, you know, you talk about being Teflon, man. I think that's really good. So you, you don't let what it is dwell in your head. Sometimes, most, I yeah, try to. it's what you try to. I think another thing is to make sure what does dwell in your head is truthful. Mm. So I'm all for learning bits of scripture. Yeah. And, and being able to call to mind what the Bible says about mm. me. So that the lies are going in there or someone said something, I'm feeling shaky. Wait, I, I bring to mind and the Holy Spirit helps us with that. But yeah, no, this is the truth. This is Mm. what I'm going to dwell on. It's not always easy because I'm one that will go over it and over it. And it's a big effort Mm. for me to say, God, just help me. Mm. Try and distract me. Let's go back to scripture. Sometimes I'll put worship on and I'll sing along deliberately or I'll sing in tongues or something. Just I'm doing something Mm. to to stop whatever it is in my head. Um, But I think it's important what we fill our minds with. And I think that also goes, I'm going to sound like an old woman as to what we watch on Netflix, what we read, what we let our eyes see, all of those things, it's important what the influences are on our life. Mm. We talked about that with social media the other week. We talk about that a lot. We want God to be the number one influence in our life. We want Mm. out of that relationship knowing that we're his child. And we say, I'm here to serve, 
that everything else comes. That's what mm. defines us. That's what inspires us. That's mm. what gets us out of bed in the morning. That's what fills our mind and our hearts. And yes, not always possible. Sometimes I wake up in a bad mood and I don't want to face the day. Sometimes my mind is filled with things that it shouldn't be. It's a battle because we're human. Mm. But ultimately, we want our eyes fixed on not the things of this world, but on, on God. Yes. Uh, it, it's trying to get to a point which is really, really difficult of saying, it's not what other people think of me that matters. It's yeah. what I want to be before God that yeah. matters. It's what he thinks of me and what I choose to be for him. That's yeah. what really matters. Yeah. One of the problems with our world is that the whole media advertising, whether it's social media or, or any form of advertising, is geared towards making you spend money mm. because if you have what they are advertising, the perception is that you will be part of that tribe and mm. will feel better and be more valued. So everything is about um, trying to get us to fit in with what other people want from us. Mm. And that's really, it's a dead end. Mm. It's a dead end because if I have the latest phone, I'm not actually any happier than somebody. And I, I don't, if I wear the clothes that that person wears, I don't actually take on their happiness. And when you say like that, of course we don't, mm -hmm. but we all are susceptible to that. I think, mm -hmm. oh, look, they look so smiley and happy mm -hmm. with that. And they look so cool and they look so attractive and they're laughing and having this lifestyle in this 30 second advert or this one photograph. And I think, gosh, if I drank that coffee, if I drank that drink, that they, alcohol, whatever it was, if I wear those shoes, if I... I'll have everything because I'll belong to that tribe. Mm. And it's all a myth. Mm. And actually, happiness is not... My happiness has got nothing to do with what you think about me. Mm. It's what I feel before God. And again, that's the process. I remember, I've talked about this before, I remember when I first came here, and the expectation was for me to preach like you. So Donald uses cartoons, Donald does this. And mm. so my first few sermons, it was like, well, I've got to do it because that's what Donald does. And I realised very, very quickly that I can't do it because it's not me. I don't like cartoons. There you go. There's a, there's I can't a, use cartoons anymore. I know. It's like your arm's being chopped off. It is. But for me, it was, this is what the church expects. I can't mm. do it. I'm, I'm just going to have to be me. And with a sermon or with a live stream or whatever it might be, I get to the point of, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to say? Where do you want me to go with this? Yeah, use my ideas, use my personality, you know, tweak it as we go along and inspire me by your spirit. And if I feel at the end of a live stream or at the end of a sermon, I've done what God has asked me to do, I try and leave it and not worry about what anybody else thinks because it's between me and him. And if somebody thought it was rubbish, if somebody thought I deserved to be sacked over making you Advent man or whatever, that's fine. But at the end of the day, I'm not there to please them. At the end of the day, I'm there because it's about me and God. And if my heart is God, I want to do your will. I want you to lead me. I don't want to get sacked. Help me. Then, then that's, for me, the important thing. Mm. I'm a child serving you. I'm not here to serve the church. I am here to serve the church, don't get me wrong, but it's slightly different. Yeah. I serve the church because I'm serving God, because that's the way that he has called me to do that at this time in my life. Uh, absolutely, but I think I want to say that I don't want to give anybody the impression that I've got this together. I mean, the whole we talked the other week about social media. The whole reason I'm not on social media is because I don't, I can't just read what people think about me. Yeah. I just would rather not know. Yeah. So I think it is a real battle, and it's a battle particularly when people you admire, love, or respect say difficult things to you and, and want to change you. And, and that's really, I, I, it's really hard, but that's where I go back to, okay, that's not my identity. My identity is not their tribe. My identity is I'm here to serve Jesus, exactly what you say. But it is really, really hard. And it's, for me, it's not only putting on Teflon, but it's a, a, 
saying I choose not to hear things and in my context I choose not to read things I choose mm. I, I don't think I could do any of this if I was on social media because my mind is, is weak I really would struggle um, I don't know how you maintain <laughs> your identity when there's so many different people commenting on you mm. uh, I just hate that I would absolutely oh, I be a hate public it public figure Hmm. where you say or do something and then the whole of Twitter or whatever has an Abs opinion. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough. Yeah. Here, at yeah. times. Yeah. Oh, what was she wearing? Oh, her hair. Uh, I, I couldn't cope with that at all. Yeah. Uh, so part of the way in which I preserve my identity is to just avoid yeah. the stuff that damages it. Yeah and not be defined by it, mm. not be defined by 50 likes for a photograph. Yeah. And, and not be discouraged when nobody likes your photograph. Yeah. 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 We're drawing towards the end of our time. Any last things that you want to say about this whole area of identity? Uh, no, I would just sum up. Uh, start with working out that you're a child of God yep. and then move to offering yourself to him. And that's a great identity. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for joining with us this evening. Good night and God bless. Cheerio.